we come down to our sermon passage this morning. We'll be looking at our um, uh, uh, core value of lifelong discipleship through the lens of Mark chapter 10. And reading our passage this morning is Derek Jones. Kids, unlike adults, know how to enjoy a gift or what it is. A gift. 
When I was a kid, we used to visit my papa Stevens, my mom's dad, a few times a year, and every time we did, it slipped me $5. Now, this was like 80s, early 90s, so $5 to buy a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle action figure and have some cash stuff. It was, it was, it was just a fortune for me. And he didn't ask me to do anything. He didn't ask me to earn it. He just enjoyed giving me the gift. And I knew two things for sure. I knew, number one, that Papa Stevens loved me, and number two, that he always gave me this gift. It was part of the ritual of us visiting with each other. So I remember being about eight years old, and I don't know if you remember this. My mom's here. Um, it was the last day of our visit, and I was confused because Papa Stevens hadn't given me any money yet. And so I went to him and the adults were there in the kitchen, and the family members were around, and I, I went up to him, and I said, Papa Stevens, where's my money? Where's my money? I wasn't trying to shake him down, but it was an earnest question. And he just laughed. He wasn't angry. He wasn't horrified. He laughed and reached for his wallet. Because he knew I was a child. That I received his generosity with no pretense. And that's why I felt free to ask, where is my money? Not because I was getting this whole gift gift wrong, but because I knew I was loved by him and that he was generous to me. Now today we're going to talk about our core value of lifelong discipleship through the lens of Mark chapter 10. Um, because I think this passage teaches us something profound about what it means to follow Jesus. That discipleship, the process of being remade by God to be like Jesus, only happens when we learn to bask in the reality of our generous God and to live as His delighted in children who have nothing to earn from God and nothing to prove to God. I'm going to repeat all of that. That discipleship only happens when we learn to bask in the reality of our generous God as His delighted in children who have nothing to earn from God and nothing to prove to And that's true no matter what age we are, no matter what stage of life we're in. So let's look at this. Uh, Jesus is interacting with three different kind of groups here, three different First one is Jesus and the children. So let me set the scene. We didn't, I didn't have, I made Derek read enough of, <laughs> of the passage. But just before this, Jesus is teaching. He's got a big crown around him. He's teaching about very serious adult topics. He's talking about marriage and divorce. That's what's happening at the front end of Mark chapter 10. And people are listening. And in the middle of this very serious adult teaching, the seminar, people start bringing their children to him and asking Jesus, to place his hands on them. So Jesus is giving a seminar about marriage and divorce, to use modern terms, and people are literally taking their kids and like, here Jesus, hold my hold my child, bless my child. It's it's kind of a silly scene. And so the children are there, and in the Gospel of Luke, which we didn't read, but this scene is, is in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, he calls them babies. These are little babies that people are bringing to Jesus. And so in this scene, we've got these kids, children with all their delight, children with all their noise, children with all their distractions, and they're playing and they're crying. And the disciples can't believe it. The disciples who had to feel very important as the so-called inner circle of Jesus' followers, how dare these people bring their kids? So they started to rebuke the 
The kids were distracting from the very important adult stuff, the teaching that was going on. So the disciples said, stop. You need to get your kids away from here. But Jesus would have none of them. The passage says he was indignant. That's not just anger. Jesus was furious at this. He was grieved at this. And so he turns and Jesus says, let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. The disciples were essentially saying, what Jesus is about does not belong to your babies. Does not belong to your children. It's for serious adults that have it all together. We really want to learn all the truths. So get your kids out of here. Jesus says, no, the kingdom of God belongs to them. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Now why was Jesus so indignant? Because the disciples had missed a crucial point. That the kingdom of God is not for respectable people who sit still and know how to follow the social rules and talk and play in the middle of teaching. The kingdom of God belongs to these children. Children with no power, children with no pool, no resources, children who have no money to give as they walk into this session of teaching. They have no great reputation or influence. Children who are helpless, vulnerable, dependent. <coughs> Yet what does Jesus say? The kingdom of God belongs to them. That they know the secret of how to receive what Jesus is accomplishing. They know the secret of how to receive it better than the adults who, you know, seem to know what they're doing. To quote the pastor, Pastor Will Willeman, he said, It's as if Jesus wanted to say, there will be no adults in my kingdom. No self-sufficient, liberated, autonomous, independent adults that will only be children. Why? Because no matter how old we are, as I've already said, the process of discipleship is learning to live as God's delighted in children who have nothing to earn from God and nothing to prove to Him. The lifelong process of discipleship is to receive all He has for us as a gift, which is what it is and what it always will be. Not something we earn, but something He delights to give us as we his children, because he is generous. That brings us to our second interaction here. Jesus and the man who had it all together. If I asked you to make uh, a description of an ideal disciple of Jesus, the person who's going to contribute the most to the kingdom of God, what characteristics would you begin with? Now, I think for a lot of us that have been in church for a while, we know the answer to that is supposed to be there's no person that's more important than anybody else. The church is a body. We're all different parts, and we have gifts. But you know that you have an answer in your head. You might start listing characteristics like resourceful, somebody who's well-respected influential, somebody who's young, able-bodied, energetic, the kind of person that has it all together who can contribute the most. Well, we meet that kind of person in our passage in verse 17. He doesn't just interrupt Jesus like those children. He doesn't dare do that. He waits until Jesus is done teaching, and then he approaches him. And when he approaches him, he calls him the good, the honorific title, good teacher. This is somebody who knows how to approach an important man. In verse 20, 
He tells Jesus that he's kept all the commandments that Jesus has listed since he was a boy. So he's a very moral man. Someone who runs around and ruins his reputation, he makes lots of bad mistakes. This is a moral guy. And in verse 22, we find out that he's very wealthy, so he's a lot, lots of resources. So he knows how to approach a, uh, an important person rightly. He's moral. He has a lot of money. He's who you want on the team, right? But let's look at ha what happens when this so-called ideal man actually meets Jesus face to face. Verse 17, as I've already said, he calls Jesus good teacher. What he's doing here is... So he's waited until Jesus, he's, he's been very proper, and he's waited until Jesus is done teaching. And he comes to him and he tries to flatter him. He's trying to get him to, to, to Jesus to fall in this like reciprocal response. Like he'll say, good teacher, and Jesus will say, oh, my good man. But Jesus refuses to play the game. Jesus says, why do you call me good? No one is good except for God alone. Now Jesus is not saying here that he's not God. What Jesus is doing is Refusing to engage this man the way the man wants to. And Jesus is telling this man, you call me good, but you don't mean what you say. If you did mean what you say, that I'm a good teacher, then you wouldn't ask the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Because you just heard me answer. You just heard me answer. The picture we have in Mark 10 is that that man was standing there when Jesus was about the children. The man was present when Jesus spoke of his children. He had heard Jesus say that the only way to receive what Jesus is doing was like a child, and the man did not like Jesus' answer. The man did not want to hear that his resources, that his morality, that his position in life didn't make him more important than other people. He didn't want to hear that the pathway of discipleship is becoming like a child. A child? How can Jesus say that the things like his morality and his reputation and his money, how can Jesus say that they just wear it there? How dare Jesus say that he needs to be stripped of his wealth and his self-importance to truly follow when this man came to Jesus and he said, how can I inherit eternal life? He was asking, but what about me? I know what you just said to that crowd that doesn't know any better. I know what you just said to that crowd who doesn't know any better. But what about me? What must I do? Because surely things are different for me. So Jesus engages him. He says, well, you know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear a false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. Jesus is summarizing the last six of the Ten Commandments. And we would think that the man coming to an honest, face-to-face -face encounter with the beautiful commandments of God would make him stop his foolishness and say, well, now that you say it, Jesus, you're wrong. I truly only can come to you as a child because there's no way I have fulfilled all of that. But this respectable, good, moral man will not be denied his self-importance. And he says what? Standing and looking at Jesus Christ in the face, he says, Teacher, all these I have kept from you. He's apparently convinced that he has lived his life without any failure. He's directly challenging Jesus here. 
Notice he doesn't call him good teacher anymore. He just calls him teacher. He's directly challenging Jesus. He says, I know what you said about receiving the kingdom like a little child, but I, do you know what I've done since I was a child? I have accomplished a whole lot since I was a boy. I've done everything I was supposed to Jesus looks at this man with his pride and self-sufficiency. This man who is challenging what Jesus is saying to him right there, and he loves him. And then Jesus tells him one final thing, getting to the very heart of the matter. He tells this man one thing you lack. It's a big thing. One thing you lack, he said. Go sell everything you have. Everything you have. Give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And then come follow me. Jesus is saying, strip yourself of the things that you look for for your identity and your security. Toss weighs you down and it blinds you to the reality of God's love. To follow me, to receive what I have to give to you, you must become weak, become vulnerable, vulnerable, become dependent, you must become a child. You must come to me with open hands. And you can't have open hands if you're holding on to your wealth and your morality and you're holding on to your self-importance and your reputation. And those words prove too hard. One of the saddest verses in the Gospels Verse 22, he went away sad because he had great wealth. He went away sad because he had great wealth. That brings me to this third interaction that Jesus has with his disciples. Because Jesus turns then to his disciples who have apparently been staying there and have heard every bit of this. And he says something that shocked them. He says, how hard it is for the rich to enter to make his point, Jesus says it again, but says it even stronger in verse 24. Children. Notice he calls them children. This is the only place in the Gospel of Mark that he calls his disciples children. Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now that image is supposed to sound as silly as you think it does. A camel through the eye of a needle is absurd. It's, it's impossible. And the disciples are amazed because if anyone, if anyone in the entire world could get into the kingdom, it had to be that rich man who just walked away sorry. It had to be that moral man with all his resources and his great reputation who knows the ins and outs of how to be respected. And they just watched the ideal guy. The guy they wish they all could be walk away from Jesus sorrowfully. He was the embodiment of all the values that they held dear. And when he came face to face with who Jesus was, he went away. He left. That's why they asked him, who can be saved? Because if not this kind of man, what hope is there for me? Jesus responds, with the famous words that have been etched on pillows and put on bumper stickers. You've heard them before. With man it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are impossible with God. Now that normally gets quoted when somebody is facing something incredibly difficult, right? We're facing something difficult in the future and we say, well, it seems impossible. But all things are possible with God. But notice where Jesus is saying this. Jesus is saying that with God, it is possible that we might be stripped of all the things we build ourselves upon. That we might become and live like children. 
that all things are possible with God, even the impossibility that we might set down our respectability and our good deeds and come to Him, receiving salvation from Him the only way it can be received as a gift. Jesus knows what the junk of this world, the masks that we wear, not COVID masks, the names that we try to build for ourselves, He knows what these things do to our hearts. And He is committed to letting us know that following Him, no matter how old we are or what stage of life we're in, is learning to be His delighted in children who have nothing to earn from Him because He gives us everything and we have nothing to prove to Him. In verse 28, Peter speaks up as kind of a spokesman for the disciples. And at this point, the disciples have been following Jesus for years. And they've given up a whole lot to do this. They've let the stability of their livelihoods to follow him. And he says, what? See? Look, Jesus, we've, we've left everything and followed you. What Peter is wondering is if this man that had it all together walked away from Jesus, should I do that too? Have we made the foolish choice? To leave everything to follow Jesus. In verse 29, Jesus gives his disciples, disciples incredible promise. Read it again. There's no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake in the gospel who will not receive. He doesn't say earn. Who will not receive a hundredfold. Now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions. And in the age to come, eternal life. Jesus is saying that those who come to him as children will not fail, will not fail to receive the riches of his grace. That nothing entrusted to God or lost to God is truly lost. That receiving his grace with open hands may be difficult, but he will bring to us all that he has for us. And that following him will not be a matter of learning to stand on your own two feet, but it will be a matter of a life lived basking in the reality of your Father who has made you His child. How can Jesus say this? Jesus can say this because He knows what He's doing. He knows what comes next. Jesus proves to us that God will not fail to bring to us all that He has for us because in Jesus, God works to remove every obstacle that stands in the way between us and Him. He wears our sin in His cross. He frees us from the penalty that our sins deserve. He bursts forth in victory in His resurrection. He's vindicated and justified by God as who He is. And He in turn gives us His righteousness and He becomes our vindication. And He invites us to live in that. To know that we're justified in God's sight. Because He gives us His righteousness and He invites us to live under that verdict and we receive, not earn, we receive all of this, every bit of it, as a gift. Not a paycheck. God does not write you paychecks. God does not write us paychecks. He gives us, from His generosity, grace upon grace upon grace. We receive all of this as a gift. It's not us being the rich man in this passage. It's us being like children whose entire existence is defined by the generosity of our God. And we never move on from that. We never grow up to be self-sufficient, autonomous adults. It's not the goal. 
We never come to a time, and we never will for all eternity, where we, where we will not rest 100% on the love of God for us. We never move on for it. We never grow up to move on from our Father's house. We are kept forever as His daughters and sons. Now, I said it earlier, and I say it often, all children, all church is children's church. And I don't just mean that as like a hokey kind of bumper sticker thing to say all church is children's church. We don't come in here with our respectability. We don't come in here dressing up for each other. We don't come in here to get pats on our backs because we have done it just right this week. We don't come in here talking about credit scores and the bills that we pay off. Because you know what? That stuff actually does not matter. We come in here and we talk about the amazing grace of our God. Because we've been brought into His household. Because we have found a love that we don't need to earn, as we can't lose. We found a God, a Father, to whom we don't have to prove ourselves. We can just walk in the freedom of sin. All the churches, church. And that's what I mean by our core value of lifelong discipleship. We follow Jesus becoming more like Him because always we remain in the constant loving care of our Father. And that frees us up. We can live sacrificially that way. We can give of ourselves, of our time, of our talents, of our money. We can entrust all things to God. We can give generously because we know that our Father is not going to drop the ball. He won't drop the ball tomorrow, next week, next month, or before eternity. He holds it. And we never leave the posture of what we see in verse 16. Jesus taking these children in His arms and placing His hands on them and blessing them. We never lose that. We never do. Our core value, we talked about this week, is lifelong discipleship. That we're called to value what Jesus values and to follow Him together through all the ages and stages of life. And the reason why I call it lifelong discipleship is because sometimes I think churches can paint a picture of following Jesus that can only really be fulfilled by young, energetic, resourceful, and able-bodied We paint a picture of an ideal follower of Jesus that looks a lot like the rich man in this passage. Somebody who has it all together, who never makes mistakes, who has a lot of money and has done really well with it. He has a good reputation. We paint that picture that can only be met by people like the young man in the passage. Here's the thing. Jesus doesn't need our gifts and talents and resources. He invites us to follow Him in mission because He delights in us, not because He needs us. It's grace that calls us to follow after Him. So we must leave our ideas of an ideal disciple or an ideal follower of Jesus behind. Because following Jesus is for children. Following Jesus is for babies. Following Jesus is for the elderly. It's for the disabled. It's for the single. It's for those who are romantically frustrated. It's for the flawed and the childless. It's for the doubting and the poor. It's for us. So friends, come to Him with nothing in your hands. Toss aside the stuff you carry to build your identity. The things that weigh you down. Come to Him like a child. And find in Him everything that you need. That's right. Father, I thank You that we can come to You in our poverty of spirit. We can come to You with nothing in our hands. We can come to You vulnerable like children. 
and receive from you all that we will ever need. That we never move on from being your children who are delighted in, who are loved, who are provided for. That we will always remain just that. Teach us, Lord, to bask in who you are. To bask in the reality of your generosity. Teach us to stop trying to prove ourselves to you. To stop trying to earn what is already ours, your love. Move upon us to live our whole lives. Whatever age or stage we find ourselves in. As those who are held by you. Pray in the name of Jesus.